0: Philippians chapter 1 we did the first 11 verses I want to this morning as we look at um, Paul's letter to the Philippians he touches really on four main topics he explains that part of the Christian walk with Jesus is not only to believe in him but also to suffer for his sake. Now remember, when you first got saved, you really didn't know what you were in for, but um, I'm straight up with people about what they're getting themselves into. That when you're born again, you only had one nature to deal with before, and now you got two, and they're at war with each other 24-7. So what Paul is now bringing, as he's speaking to these Philippian believers, um, the reality is not only believe in him, but um, suffering is going to be a part of it also. Number two, we'll look at Paul's suffering and trials as an example of suffering suffering, but more importantly, his attitude toward it. Number three, and the reason I called this message this morning hard press, it's going to have a twofold meaning. As far as Paul is concerned, um, Paul's desire to be with the Lord as we read in verse 23 I am hard pressed between the two having a desire to depart and be with Christ which is far better nevertheless to remain in the flesh is more needful for you then we're going to look at another version and make it more um applicable to you and I, and looking at being hard-pressed in a different way than Paul is being hard-pressed, and um, talking about the reality of where our world is at today. I'm gonna get specific and um, read an article from my friend, or part of just bits and pieces of an article from my friend Gary Kaw who I've known for over 30 years, and um, uh, I read some things that blew my mind and, but make perfect sense and deal with some of the issues that we're hard-pressed with and the suffering that goes along with that. Um, let's start in verse 12. As Paul is, I believe, in Rome in prison... And he says, but I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. So he's in prison, but somehow uh, the gospel is being spread abroad because of what he says next, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to the rest that my chains are in Christ. So I believe... uh, Um, in prison, there were people that were coming to Christ and it was because it was in prison that it was a furtherance of the gospel. And most of the brethren in the Lord have become confident by my chains are much more bold to speak the word without fear. I think some of them had the idea, Paul could do it, I could do it. Some indeed preach Christ even for envy and strife and some also from goodwill, ambition, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my chains. So he's in prison in chains. But the latter out of love, knowing that I'm appointed for the defense of the gospel. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached And in this I rejoice, yes, and I will rejoice. Now that's a continuing thought that's gonna change as we look at verse 19, where he says, For I know that this will turn out for my salvation through your prayer and supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Um, The word salvation here, Paul means his deliverance from prison, not his own personal salvation but um, his salvation here would be that he would be able to be delivered from prison. The Bible makes it clear that God hears and answers the prayers of his people. We need to ask God, God's people, to pray for us. Paul says that through their prayers, he hopes to be set free. Through the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, the only way you and I can get that supply that we need through prayer. Bible says we have not because we ask not. And if you ask, um, he doesn't always say yes. And we'll be looking at that this morning. That's being implied here, but that's not what the Bible teaches. And we'll look at a case, couple cases where Paul prayed and God said no, clear out. Some cases as I was thinking about this, answer to prayer We've been going through um, the Gospels and men's, men's prayer. And um, sometimes the Lord would heal a man who was blind and um, spit in the ground, made it mud, stuck it in his eye, <laughs> told him to go wash down by the pool of Siloam. Another time he healed the guy and he says, What do you see? He says, Well, I see uh, trees like Ben and, uh, and another time, a guy called out to him. He said, Lord, have mercy on me. And the guy was blind, and the Lord says, what do you want? And um, I'm thinking, he's getting set up. It's obvious what he wants. And he said, so he said, um, he touched him, or said, let it be according to your faith. And it says, immediately. So what's your point here, Dwight? Um, God could answer prayer Immediately. He can answer a prayer in a period of time can go by before that prayer is answered. And sometimes he just comes right out and says you're gonna have to wait. That's the one I hate the most. (laughs) And uh, so how does God answer prayer? Yes, no, and wait. And he can do it immediately or he can put mud in your eye until you wash it off and it makes me wonder. But to me what that tells me is We can't dictate to God what to do and how to do it. Jesus did not want to go to the cross and he prayed three times but he said nevertheless not my will be done but yours be done. This is what I want but what more is I want what you want. Good place for an amen. And you can't put the Lord in a box and say well I prayed prayed therefore Uh, that's a positive confession Um, movement and if that's a familiar term to some of you um, they tell you that you have power in your words and what you say is what you get so don't ever pray a negative confession well that's crazy Uh, David when he was running from Saul he says surely this day I know I will die by the hands of Saul well if that's not a negative confession I don't know what is well guess what David did not die by the hands of Saul. And that was a negative confession. So you'll hear this kind of stuff sooner or later, or you'll hear the, the um, uh, prosperity teachers, the Kenneth Copelands, the Hagans, that are big into that. Um, I like to name names when I talk about doctrine so you'll actually know who to look out for. Kenneth K- Hagan. Is one of those guys? Yeah, he's one of those guys. So is Copeland. So let's uh, go on. We um, uh, find here that what he was praying for, it was not salvation, but he would actually get out out of prison. Um, Verse 20 through 22. According to my earnest expectation and hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ will be manifested in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what shall I choose? I cannot tell. I'm going to stop with that and ask a question that all of us will have to confront unless we're raptured. And that is, what happens at death? He's tried to explain to these Philippians all aspects of the Christian life. And now what he's going into is a difficult subject for some to hear because in the parable of the sower... Uh, he received the word with joy, and then it says, "But in time of temptation, he fell away." And I always like to ask the question, "Well, he believed on the Lord, and then how much time went by before the temptation? Before he left the Lord?" That brings up a lot of con- controversial theology by that one statement that I just made, but I can't, um, I cannot explain it away but what happens at death I'm glad you asked that question this morning let's turn to 2nd Corinthians chapter 5 what happens at when a person dies my dad's life verse is how can we know when you die that you're going to heaven that was a question that he had First Thessalonians 5:13, I believe. And it says, "These things are written that you might know that you have eternal life." Well basically that's the first thing that Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, it says, "For we know. Know what? That when our earthly house, this tent is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan and as time goes by I groan a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. Earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation which is from heaven. If indeed having blend clothed we shall not be found naked. For in this tent we groan being burdened not because we want to be unclothed but further clothed that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now, he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who also has given us a spirit as a guarantee. Therefore, we are always confident, knowing that while we're at home in the body, we're absent from the Lord. This is what Paul was hard pressed about. For we walk by faith, not by sight, We are confident, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. If I had one prayer this morning for every person that leaves here or is watching live stream, is that you're not afraid of death. You're not afraid of death. I'm gonna show you in just a second, as it says here, that we're confident to be absent from the body. The question was, What happens at death? You move. You simply move. You move out of this old tent and you move into a brand new eternal body that's been prepared for you. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. There's no such thing as soul sleep and um, this is what happens. So with that, let's go to 1 Corinthians 15, and we're looking at verses 51, which is a rapture verse, through 56, and Paul's attitude that he has towards death. 1 Corinthians 15, the whole chapter is about the resurrection, and he makes an exception when he gets to verse 51 about death, that everybody's going to die. And it says in verse 51, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all... The word for a Christian, instead of death, the, the word sleep is injected because you're eternal. We shall not all sleep or die, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the last trump, the trump will sound, the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this Corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So, when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written. So, here we have prophecy, another prophecy. Death is swallowed up in victory. And then he quotes this Oh, death, where's your sting? Oh, Hades, where is your victory? He's not only not afraid of it, what's he saying here? Bring it on. (laughs) And that's what he's saying. He's not afraid of it at all. He wants, he'd rather be with the Lord. And so he said, death, where's your sting? Grave, where's your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. So what was Paul's attitude talking about death? Bring it on. I'd rather be there than here. So... And I feel that more and more as days go by. So let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and look at some examples, literally, of what Paul went through as examples of suffering. Everybody in this room knows somebody who's suffering today. Um, Either from seasonal flus or Side effects, maybe you have family members um, uh, that have gotten sick or are having lingering um, problems with uh, COVID. But um, some of Paul's affliction in 2 Corinthians 11, beginning at verse 23, tell us, Are they ministers of Christ? I speak a fool. I am more. In labors, more abundant. In stripes, above measure. In prison, more frequently. In deaths, often. From the Jews five times, I received 40 stripes minus one. So Jesus received 39 stripes because the law says you can't, when you punish a man by whipping him, you can only give them 40. And they, w- they didn't want to break the law, and so just to play it safe, they would count. <laughs> and they would count up to 39. and They wouldn't give him the 40th one, just in case he was hit 41 times, which would have been breaking the law. That happened to Jesus once. Some people perished just from the whipping. But here, Paul said he received from the Jews... Uh, five times, 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night in a day I've been in the deep. In journeys often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in cities, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, and perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil and sleeplessness and often in hunger and thirst, fasting often in cold and nakedness, and besides all that, what comes upon me daily with my deep concern for the church. Well, Paul, don't you know you're living your best life now? (laughs) I mean, the irony of what the Bible teaches And what prosperity teachers, like Joel Steen or Joyce Meyer, prosperity teachers, God never wants you to be sick, Um, doesn't want you to suffer. And um, if you are sick and you're suffering, uh, it's not God's fault because you can just name it and claim it. It's mine. And um, uh, that simply is not what the scriptures teach. But people like hearing stuff like that. Oh, bring it on. Tell me that I never have to suffer. Tell me that God will answer my prayer, whatever I ask for, I'm gonna get. I'm gonna name it, and I'm gonna claim it. And what the leaders of these organizations will say to you, if you don't receive it, well, that's your problem. You obviously have a lack of faith. If you had enough faith, then you would have your prayer answered. And so they talked a way around it, and... um, you just didn't need to know it's flat out heresy. Paul is wanting to tell the truth to the Philippians who are learning what is this Christian lifestyle all about. And now he's bringing into it his own personal experience from prison. And um, I have one more place I want to go to. Um, let's go to, um, back to, Philippians chapter one. One more time, we'll be coming back here. Philippians chapter one. And now we're looking at verses 23 to 26. For he says, and this is where we get the title for our message, for I am hard pressed between the two I have a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. That your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Christ Jesus by my coming to you again. Paul wanted to get out of prison, and he wanted to go to to, um, Philippi. So here's a struggle that he has. And I have to say amen to that, where he said, um, I'd rather be with the Lord. I'll be honest with you, gang. I want out. I want out. I am sick of this world. It's only getting sicker as time goes on. And, um, but like Paul, I have to say, if it makes a difference with one soul going to heaven or hell, then I'll stay. I was telling the guys on men's prayer, I was cleaning out the garage and I was using one of those blowers, you know? And um, which finger was it? This finger right here touched the muffler. And it, boy did that burn. And I went in the house and went in the freezer and I got an ice pack and put it on a glove and I laid that baby on there, otherwise it would have swollen up. And I looked at Judy and I said, this hurts. <laughs> and all I could think of was hell. It doesn't hurt at all anymore. The ice to call the swelling away. And I uh, couldn't feel it, to, I don't, can't feel it right now. Hell's not like that. Um had stuck his um, head in the door and tongue in cheek he said to me fire and brimstone this morning I said well as a matter of fact yes (laughs) but we don't think about it but we need to think about it Jesus talked about it more than anyone else you know people you have relatives and um, they're going to hell because um, they say, it's oh, why you're so negative and narrow-minded thinking that Jesus is the only way. I said, I sure am. And I love you enough to tell you so. And get upset, get bad, about Don't talk about religion or politics at the Thanksgiving table. Those are no-nos. You just don't go there. Well, it's time to go there, my friends, because the hour is late. It is very late, and the fact that we're still here is the fact that the Lord is long suffering, not willing that any should perish. But please don't play Russian roulette with your soul. And please get what Paul's trying to get across here about being bold and don't care what they think. Fake? Think? Think. Fake. A fake word. <laughs> don't care what they say. Care what the Lord says and what He's commanded you to do. Well, oh, we call it the great suggestion to go in all the world, right? No. This is a great commission. You are ambassadors. You've been commissioned to go and preach the gospel to all people. Well, what if they won't hear it? And I keep telling them and telling them and telling them. Well, the Bible's got an answer for that. Shake the dust off your, your robe and feet and go on and talk to somebody who will listen. And um, it varies, you know. If you're with a person at work where you have an opportunity to sow a few C's on here and there without scaring them away. Um, but if you've only got one shot with a person, make sure you're carrying around the gospel road with you in the car. I mean, I got both, both sides of my places where you put your CDs in the doors full of God of Wonders. And I'm giving out God of wonders for those one-time shots. And um, it's powerful. I mean, the people that are in there and um, presenting the gospel so precisely and clearly, and then to show the wonders of his creation. Um, Romans 1 says, it's not that they don't believe in God. It says they suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Oh, they know. You can't look at a sunset and not know. You can't have an intelligent conversation with somebody and figure out, well, there's quite a few brain cells moving around here that I'm understanding what you're saying right now. And that happened by time and chance in millions of years. Where's their common sense? No, they're purposely suppressing the truth in unrighteousness because they don't want to hear it. They wanna take pleasure in their sin. And they don't know that what they're looking for in the peace and the joy and the love that they really want and contentment, it's all in what you're presenting to them. But they just don't know that. But don't give up on them. All right, let's go back to, um, we left off in 23 to 26, Paul being hard pressed. He wants out. Um, I'll, I'll tell you honestly how I feel right now from a scripture, and you need to turn to 2 Peter chapter two. And in Second Peter chapter two, drawing your attention to verse four through nine. 2 Peter two, verse four, for if God did not spare the angels who sinned but cast them down into hell and delivered them into the chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment And he did not spare the ancient world but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly. And he turned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterwards would live ungodly. Now verse 7, and delivered righteous Lot, where's Lot? He's living in Sodom and Gomorrah and delivered Righteous Lot, who was, I have the New King James, which says oppressed. I like the King James Version, which says vexed. He was vexed. He was a righteous man, and everybody else wasn't, and it vexed and tormented his righteous soul from day to day and seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. That's how I feel, I'm vexed. I'm oppressed when I see what's happening in this world today and I want you to know if it was okay for Lot to be in that condition. Um, I'm gonna talk later about a pro-life rally march being held at our nation's capital, a pro-life march protesting so that we can abort children. It's gotten gotten to that degree, and that's just the tip of the iceberg for, for where we're going here this morning. But what's interesting to me about this is God would not bring judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah until Lot was out of town. Remember? And as soon as he was out of town, the fire and brimstone came down and destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. The interesting verse there, almost as a side note, says, and Lot's wife looked back, and she was turned into a pillar of salt, which is what the Dead Sea is known for. It's called, the, it's the lowest body of water in the world. It, the salt context is so high, the minerals are so high, that you can float on it. You just go out there and just float, float around, read your paper pretty cool actually and um, but Jesus brings it up talking about his second coming he says remember Lot's wife well I see the pre-trib rapture in all this as a picture that we have to be taken out before the wrath of God can be poured out he has not appointed us to wrath And that's exactly what the seven-year tribulation period is. And um, But studies like this are important not only to the Philippians. So the first time um, they go through a fire burning trial or or somebody beats them up uh, for witnessing to them, Paul's telling them, expect it. It's going to happen. If you're not compromising... Um, God's word, and your own walk with the Lord, all people in Christ Jesus will what? Suffer persecution. All Christians, if you're walking the walk with with the Lord, you're gonna get heat for it. And you need to know that um, those who talk about such things um, are in the minority. You're in the minority, I'm in the minority. By the way, the largest church in America... Joel Olstead's church, 50,000 people. Huh. why so many people? Because he's telling them exactly what they want to hear. And um, I feel good, tell me that. Don't tell me bad things. Don't tell me about hell. Don't tell me the reality of suffering. I was talking to somebody about, about um, um, they were witnessing to somebody, they said they went to Calvary. And they say, oh, all you talk about there is prophecy at Calvary Chapel. And um, I told the person to tell him this. Um, no, we don't. <laughs> and the safeguard from one-third of the Bible is prophecy. We've read a couple prophecies already this morning, quotes from the Old Testament that are being fulfilled here. And um, I tell him, I tell him go, you can go online, check out our website, And uh, you'll find out, yeah, we talk about prophecy when a prophecy comes up as we teach chapter by chapter and verse by verse. We'll deal with it when we get to that particular subject. Well, this morning we happen to be vexed like Lot, but judgment could not be done until they were taken out. And the Lord specifically says about his coming, remember Lot's wife. Her heart was in the world, in reality. And um, we're not to love the world. Neither the things of the world. He who loves the world, the love of God is not in him. Good place for an amen. So all that to say this. It's getting to the point, gang, There we need to be letting go more and more and more of the things of this world. And be more zoned in I'm being able to explain to people the events that are happening in our world today from a biblical perspective. And let me just give you three examples. One world government, global reset I'll be talking about. A one world currency, main topic that's going on today to get rid of your money so that you can be tracked and there will be a source that only that could happen. That's Bible prophecy, that's Revelation chapter 13. And then what's about to unfold next, I believe, is the destruction of Damascus and Ezekiel 38 and 39 war. And be able to explain it to them, that's what's happening in our world right now for a reason, so that these events that have to, to take place, there has to be an Ezekiel 38, 39 war. Has to, God can't lie. And uh, there, there has to be a one world government. That's what the global reset is all about. Wait we'll to hear what Gary Call has to say about that. And um, then the one world currencies. We're watching these things unfold, so how close are we to the rapture of the church if we're already experiencing these things now? Everybody tracking with me? Everybody okay? <laughs> I'm not, I'm grieved, I'm vexed. <laughs> All right, let's go back to um, Philippians 1 and finish the rest of the chapter. Philippians 1, verses 27 through 30. Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and not in any way be terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation and that from God. And now this very important verse. For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but to also suffer for his sake. And here he's just coming right out and say it. It's not just being a Christian, but also to suffer like Paul did, having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here in me. So they heard the stories about Paul's travels and his tribulations. Let me give you one more example of that in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. So let's turn back there. 2 Corinthians 12, 1 through 10. Um, I think one of the reasons Paul wanted to depart and uh, go to heaven is because he got a glimpse. He got to see it. Verse one, it is doubtless not profitable for me to boast. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, let's talk about himself, whether in the body, I don't know, whether out of the body, I don't know, God knows. Such a one was caught up to the third heaven And I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know, God knows, how he was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible words which is not lawful for man to utter. Of such a one I will boast, yet of myself I will not boast, except in my infirmities. For though I might desire to boast, I will not be a fool. I will speak the truth, but I forbear lest someone should think me above what he sees to be or hear from me. In other words, I don't want you to think I'm more than what I am. Paul referred to himself as the chiefest of sinners. For those of you who've been with the Lord for a while, isn't it interesting that the older you get in the Lord, you're more aware and conscious when you sin? And that's why Paul, being that going through all those experiences, he considered himself the chiefest of sinners. Because when you get, as you grow in the Lord, of course, you get closer to the Lord. Getting closer to the Lord, like Isaiah, who actually saw him, what did, what did, what did Isaiah say? Woe is me, for I have seen the Lord. And I'm, I'm undone, I dwell amongst the people with unclean minds and unclean lips, And um, that's why Paul said that. And then he goes on because, uh, you know, he could have wrote a book, made a game. (laughs) But instead, in verse seven, it said, unless I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelation, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Would you let that settle it? Remember when Jesus, uh, we were reading in men's prayer, his temptation. And he said he was tempted in all areas and then finally the devil left him. But doesn't end there. It goes on to say until another opportune time. You just don't get tempted once. Um, You win your battle with temptation. That doesn't mean you're not gonna be tempted in it again. It's an ongoing thing. So he says, here the Lord actually allowed a messenger of Satan as a demon to buffet me I don't know what that means what was Paul's sword in the flesh I've read volumes on what people think it is most people lean towards he had a serious eye condition Um, others have different opinions but all the Bible tells us is that it was a messenger of Satan to buffet him lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning these things, I pleaded with the Lord three times that, I might de- that it might depart from me. So how does God answer prayer here? He prayed three times. We're talking about Paul. And the Lord said, no. My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in your weakness, Paul. Paul. Therefore, all right, God talked to me. At least I know why. Therefore, whole change of attitude. Most gladly I will rather boast in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecution, in distress for Christ's sake, for when I'm weak, then. I am strong. And so we have an example here of the Lord actually allowing a demonic. He could not possess Paul, but he sure could give him a hard time. And he could sure mess with his mind or however he was being buffeted, he wanted it gone. He says, no, I'm just using this to keep you humble, Paul. Oh, I see. Well, that's great then. I'll boast of that. That when I'm weak, then I will be considered strong. God uses suffering and spiritual warfare to keep us humble and usable. Now number four and the last thing I want to touch on in the world as Paul was wanting to tell the Philippian church about um, his being hard pressed so we today are being hard pressed but in a different way with this world being turned upside down. Uh, Those things make me want to go home. Uh, For example, I'll be quoting um, from Gary Kaw. We exchanged Thanksgiving, um, hope you're having a happy Thanksgiving dinner and all that kind of stuff. I've known uh, Gary for over 30 years now. was in the business world in Indiana and he traveled the world and being born again and an extremely keen sharp mind um, saw what was happening so he wrote a book called En Route to Global Occupation I read it and called him up for one of our conferences and him and Audrey have been uh, dear friends of ours for, for many many years and so we get his, we get his um, um, uh, newsletter and I'm gonna I want you to bear with me because he is very articulate in pointing out some things maybe that you haven't heard of yet that shows us just how late the hour really is and so as I read I was very selective in choosing um, how much of this to share it's not that much but have, I promise you you'll find it interesting Sent. Send out the warning, it will be a difficult summer in the US. This is a personal message I received early June from a Christian friend in strategic position in our military. We have met on several occasions over the last 18 months and agree that the principal aim of the current Biden administration and their globalist allies among the corporate elite and the whole media is the takedown of America. The seemingly naive blunders and misjudgment made by Biden and those around him who serve as his puppeteers, I actually think it's the other way around, I think he's the puppet and the other people are pulling the strings. We believe are part of an international plan to destroy the Judeo-Christian constitutional fabric of our nation. And how many times have you heard in the past that the United States of America was founded on Judean Christian principles and ethics? It's always been that way. It is not that way today, not even close. They're trying to destroy that. Before the American people are willing to embrace a new socialist world order, they must be brought to their knees to the point where every area of their lives is in chaos, and with hopelessness prevails. Only then might a majority of Americans willingly surrender their national sovereignty and personal freedoms in exchange for the illusion promise of peace, security, and prosperity. Own oh, nothing would be happy. The coming shortages. The volatile, volatile reaction of the court's decision will be accomplished by um additional upheavals resulting in and here's just a partial list soaring inflation energy and food shortages power outages and will likely affect parts of the US soon as the Biden administration policies force the closure of more coal-fired power plants thus far in 2022 than in all of 2015 to 2020 combined. The cost of electricity is expected to more than double, and the days ahead in blackouts may become commonplace. Other energy costs are spiraling out of control as well. East Coast and West Coast, 7 to $9 a barrel. In a country that has enough oil and a ground to supply the entire world for decades, are you kidding me? Question mark. Then there's food. Will we be facing an actual lack of sustenance here in America, the land of plenty? Would you have ever thought that there would be a 70% shortage of baby formula? Yes, it has happened. The biggest potential disruption has not yet gotten media attention. It's not that they haven't got its attention. It's just that they won't report it. The biggest potential disruption has not yet gotten media attention despite the fact that it could be devastating not only to our food supply but our entire economy. A few days ago, my military contact sent me an urgent message that he received from a trusted source. uh, The following are exports from this communique. I'm about to read you. I've never heard before. But what interested me the most is the people who are behind the scenes running it. And he's referring to something that's called DEF fluid. He starts with a question. Do you know what DEF fluid is? mark It's diesel exhaust fuel. Every diesel truck that has been made since 2010 is required to use its product made of 60% urea fertilizer and 33% distilled water. Every diesel truck you see driving down the road today has had this product to drive. The engine will not start without it. There are regulators inside the engine that mix the DEF with the diesel uh, to reduce diesel emissions. That the purpose of uh, the uh, DEF. Right now, Russia is the largest exporter of this um, urea fertilizer by a wide margin. Um, Carter, not Carter, Cater, is the second Egypt and China are tied for third. Both Russia and China have decided no longer to export it. What does that mean for you and me? Well, first, the United States imports most of this urea fertilizer We're the third largest importer in the entire world. Uh, We depend on other countries um, to drive and eat and ship our products. I will think long and hard about the decisions you're making right now, where you live, how you spend your money, how you prepare this is so real that the CEO of Flying J, which is one of the trucking companies of uh, Shamke konars his name, was summoned to a surface transportation board meeting to give them all this info. From what I'm reading, BlackRock is a majority shareholder of Union Pacific Railroad. So now we're shifting from trucks to railroad cars. Union Pacific Railroad Cards, how is it important? Well, you got to get the trucks to the, the train yards, but if the trucks can't get there, and now there's two strikes going on nationwide um, for these railroads as we, as we speak. America's biggest fertilizer producer of CF Industries, the largest uh, shareholder is BlackRock. BlackRock controls the fertilizer industry in the U.S. Union Pacific has exclusive rights to its distribution points of fertilizer. Urea is fertilizer. Flying J needs Ural DEF. BlackRock is controlling everything. This is where it gets interesting. The chairman of BlackRock Investment Institute is a man named Tom Donleon. President Obama's former national security adviser, Tom Dolean's brother, Mike Dolian, is a senior advisor to Joe Biden. Tom Donleon's wife, Kathleen Russell, is a White House personal director. Tom Donleon's daughter, Sarah Donleon, graduated college 2019, now works on the White House National Security Council. It appears that BlackRock is spearheading the dismantling of the US system on behalf of the globalists and the first um, domino they are pushing over is the energy sector. They are using DEF to get the party started. Uh, In the coming days, changing gears and talking now just about the health system this is under the the WHO and what their plans are this is mind boggling in the coming days the nations that were adhere to the World Health Organization otherwise known as WHO will vote on a resolution regarding the WHO's um, mandate agreements of pandemics. These resolutions will transfer, catch sovereignty regarding the health of citizens to a supernatural body that is largely financed by the pharmaceutical industries and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. How interesting. If these resolutions are approved by a majority, the WHO will have exclusive international authority in a case of a pandemic to impose all the rules, including quarantines, lockdowns, um, mandatory vaccines, and vaccine passports. It should also be borne in mind that this organization enjoys, catch this, Immunity, thus it, members can neither uh, be tried or convicted if they commit crimes. Un, unelected, theocratic were, were, will paradoxically have more power than which citizens confer on their representative by means of a democratic rule. It means they're in charge of everything. It means they call the ch- shots, and they can't be prosecuted for making you do these things. One quick change of thought, wars and rumors of wars. This is unfolding uh, things that I've found out in the last couple of days that aren't part of Gary's article here that I'll touch on. Israel's prime minister, after Israel, um, minister responded to Iran's buildup along the border. He essentially told Israel um, to back off or face serious consequences with Russia military personnel operating in Syria, and since this was written, one of our plants, U.S. bases, in Syria was bombed. Well, another one was bombed just yesterday. So that's ratcheting up conflict there. And um, Putin, um, an attack on Syria will be an attack on Russia. Last week I reported that Israel, the hot talk is that they have the bomb and um, uh, we have to prepare people for a first strike on Iran. Putin directly stated if you make any attempt to make any moves against Iraq, you're at war with Russia. What did I just say? No, I said Ezekiel 38 and 39, and they actually said they would go to war with Russia. Turkey, Iran, and Russia are the three main players in Ezekiel 38 war. My friends, how close are we as these things are unfolding? Hez- Hezbollah, the Islamic militant group, um, dominates Lebanese politics. is also part of the uh, Middle East alliance and receives much of its... Uh, hardware and support from Iran, which it receives from Russia. Like Syria, Lebanon has thousands of rockets in place ready to be unleashed. They're all pointed at at Israel. All this to say the Middle East is um, a powder keg waiting to explode. Russia's war with Ukraine, given time, could easily expand into the Middle East as well. Would Putin, whoever Putin is, ultimately ultimately, uh, decides to do, this must be certain. If Israel launches a preemptive strike on Iran, the global media will launch an unparalleled propaganda campaign against Israel Hatred towards Jewish people already is at, on the rise of the U.S. and the rest of the world will dramatically increase with hatred for those who support Israel, i.e., Calvary Chapel of Appleton and a lot of Christian mission organizations. what I'm, That's the end of the, what I'm going to quote from the article, but let's just say this. I'm looking at a picture right now of a gay... Um, the, the science is our bodies, our abortion. It's a pro-abortion protest in Washington, D.C. I could talk about our schools and what they're teaching our children. And um, I could talk about rigged elections. I could talk about churches and pastors that are endorsing uh, the great uh, um, lifestyle and instead of exposing it for what it is and the danger of what it is. Um, there are... Uh, just turning the other way. Um, people here have lost their jobs. One of the guys at Men's Prayer said his wife went to apply for a job at a medical clinic. And when she was filling out the application, the first question is, how do we refer to you in pronoun form? He, she, both of these? I'm serious. In order to fill out the form, you have to fill out are you anyway what are you anyway are you a he are you a she are you with one of them are you both and it's actually a part of the application in order to fill that out uh, there's so much that I'm not going to get into it because you know the list and all that to say this as we close things up is um, we are being hard pressed um, the economy, I didn't even talk about the border and how many terrorists are actually in our country right now. I, I could go on and on and on and on. And some of you are thinking, Dwight, we know you could go on and on and on and on. But you need to do your homework. Don't stick your head in the sand and pretend it's not there. Because what you do once you have the information is you, you can tell your friends, well, we've been, my pastor's been talking about this for 40 years. Gary Calls has been writing about it for 30. Curtis Bower and Agenda has been talking about it for 40. And so there's people, um, I don't want to use the word makes me excited, but the exponential speed of it all unraveling so quickly is mind-boggling. And as these things begin to happen, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to look up and let go and prioritize on what's really important. What's really important, my friends, is that you go to heaven. Don't you think that's important? You ever hear the story about the pastor that said, everybody here who wants to go to heaven, raise your hand. So everybody raises their hand. There was one little boy in front row who did not raise his hand. So the pastor says to him, well, don't you want to go to heaven? Well, the little boy said, I thought you meant right now. (laughs) we all go to heaven but we don't all want to die I hope your perception of death has been changed this morning and we fear it because we don't understand it but what the Bible says know for sure I know for sure that when I'm absent from the body I'm present with the Lord and Paul says I've been there it's worth it and in closing, I want you to turn to the book of Job. How are we to respond to the Bible study we just heard this morning? Book of Job chapter one, I'm not gonna read it all, but there was a day that um, the angels came and presented themselves, and it says, Lucifer was there, and the Lord was bragging on Job. And um, uh, he, would, he would get up every morning and pray and offer sacrifice to his children, for his children, thinking maybe they sinned and I need to pray for them. And then um, uh, Satan jumps into the conversation. Um, the Lord says, well, where have you come from? He said, oh, I've gone going to and fro, walking back over the face of the whole earth. The Lord says, well, have you run across Job yet? Um, and how he shuns evil, and he's blameless. And uh, he says, well, that's only because you got him hedged in on every side. Let me at him, and he'll curse you to his face. And so he said, I'll allow it to be in your power. Do what you want to. So he goes after Job. All of his possessions, seven sons, three children, All killed in the same day. In other words, this. And see if you could, if you know somebody who was in this situation. I do know somebody in this situation who lost it all. They're losing it all as I speak. Okay? And you know people like that. And they have nothing. And um, Job says, let me do that, and he'll curse you to his face. So my question in closing was, how are we to respond? if we have these trials come into our life, well, how did Job respond? And the answer to that is, verse 29, Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, fell on the ground, and worshiped. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, naked shall I return. The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord oh I hope we can all say that or at least want to be able to say that well those are just possessions and family members he didn't go after him physically oh yes he did in verse 2 um, he has to go back and report and said didn't work did it and his answer Satan's answer back to the Lord was skin for skin All a man give will give for his life. What's the Bible study about this morning? Death, dying, and men are afraid to die, unless they understood the type of Bible study we're having this morning. That we know exactly what's going to happen to the point that Paul says, "Bring it on! Death wears your sting, graves your victory. I'm sick of this world." I'm sick of watching it getting worse and worse and worse and worse every single day. I want out. But if it's necessary for me to be here for spiritual reasons, then Lord, your will be done. So what does he do physically to Job? Well, he takes, it goes out verse seven, chapter two, went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with painful boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. I had a painful one yesterday for about an hour. And I can imagine head to toe. And he took for himself a pot shred to scrape himself while he sat in the midst of the ashes. Wow. And then his wife said to him, Do you still hold your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God and shall, shall we not accept adversity? My friends, adversity is part of the walk with the Lord. And in all this, Job did not sin with his lips. And the whole rest of the chapter, I think there's 48 of them, is nothing more than his best buddies coming up to him day after day after day. When they first saw him, Nobody said a word for seven days. That's how much agony Job was in. And then his friends piped in and gave words of encouragement by saying, Job, you awful you must have sinned awful bad. If you just confess your sin, everything will be fine. Job did nothing wrong. And this is his three buddies. And um, that's most of the book of him getting railed on of obviously you sinned and that's why God is bringing this judgment upon you. Well, this concludes chapter one in which we have seen the philosophy of Christian living. This chapter is summed up in one verse. For me to live is Christ and to die is what? Let's stand and we'll close the word of prayer. Lord, we thank you that your word tells the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. And that um, there could be hard days ahead. And it should not cause us to be like the one who after he was tempted or went through a hard time left you. But Lord help us realize that if they did this to you and Paul um, how can this not happen to us if we are to be biblical Christians. Let, it, let us do it in the way that you laid out to the Philippians, with humility and not being proud and saying, look how much I know about Bible prophecy or what current events. But Lord, give us that um, gentle, humble spirit that Paul uh, instructed the Philippians. Let us represent you. Help us be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. In Jesus' name I pray, Amen.